God bless our children's workers. They seem very energetic this morning. I pray God blesses them as they go forth. We spent the last few weeks discussing Peter's journey on the water, his walking on the water toward Jesus and the reality that Peter sank and some of the implications that has for us. One of the things we talked about is that fear has, was definitely a factor in Jesus or in Peter's sinking as he walked toward Jesus. Um, fear was a very real thing. The Bible you know, says very clearly Peter was terrified. He experienced tremendous fear. But I think there are some other factors about this account of Peter walking on the water we need to look at and think about. Uh, I think there are some, some of those factors actually have to do with the reality that he did sink. We're going to read Peter's account again of him walking on the water, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, one of those factors this morning. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 32. Again, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so you can follow along in your own copy of God's Word if you want, or you can follow along on the screen. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. So there's an aspect of this account of Peter walking on the water that we all know. We've read it every week so far, but we probably haven't thought much about. And it's the reality that Peter walked on the water toward Jesus alone. He was alone as he walked toward Jesus. I want to wrestle with the question this morning, why did he walk alone? Why was Peter alone on his journey toward Jesus? If we go all the way back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, if, you're, if you read the Bible in a year with us, this was our, uh, if you have the Version Bible app, whether you do that or not, um, it was the, actually the verse yesterday, it was the verse of the day. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I thought it was kind of neat. Yesterday, this verse popped up as the verse of the day, and it was exactly what we're talking about today. Uh, the reality that when someone who falls alone, they are in real trouble. Why did no other disciple step out of the boat and walk with Peter toward Jesus? Why was Peter's journey toward Jesus a lonely one? Maybe we can make some guesses. Maybe their faith was less than Peter's. Maybe they were able to weigh the cost and said, I don't know, that seems a little too much for me. 
maybe they didn't care enough about Peter to take the risk. Maybe they had enough faith, they just thought, well, let's let Peter try it, and if he sinks, then we won't do it, but if he succeeds, maybe we'll do it. Maybe they just thought, here goes Peter again doing something radical because what we know about Peter is that was kind of commonplace for Peter to just jump out and do something based on uh, emotions. From what we read, we don't see anywhere that Peter invited anybody else along on his journey. He didn't invite any of the other disciples to walk toward Jesus with him. There's also the possibility that nobody trusted Peter enough to take a risk with him. They didn't trust his leadership. They, they didn't trust who he was as a person. I don't know. Whatever the reason that Peter was alone, what we do know is that Peter walked alone that morning on the water. And that's a little bit of what we're going to focus on this morning. Because Peter, like many of us, was sinking alone. Sinking alone. The point of our conversation today won't be to point fingers at whose fault it was. That wouldn't do us any good, didn't do Peter any good. But instead to discuss the possible reasons that Peter sank alone, the dangers of, sink, of sinking alone, and why some of us are currently sinking alone. That's what we'll talk about today uh, as we dive into the story. If you read your Bible, hopefully you do have a regular habit of reading God's Word, Uh, and if you, at this point, haven't read through the Word of God at least once through, I encourage you to do that. Come January, we'll start another Bible in a Year um, program, and so I encourage you, if you've never done that, to jump on board with us as we do this again for another year. But as you read God's Word, you'll discover pretty quickly a message about how the Christian life is meant to be lived. Uh, You'll notice that there isn't this great theme that God puts out there that we're supposed to do this all on our own, that the the goal of Christianity is to rise above everybody else and to do everything on your own. The Bible is pretty clear. We are meant for community. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. This is how we are meant to live. And this isn't just speaking about individual expressions of God's church. This is us, the family of God the universal family of God. We should be of one mind. We should have one heart. But especially if we don't know it, thousands of believers all over the world, at least we could do this here in-house. At least we could, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, live in harmony with each other, making sure there are no divisions in the church. Now, most of you probably have the experience, you have never experienced a division in the church whatsoever, Right? Yeah, you live in a, you've gone to a perfect church where there's never been any problems. No one's ever, you know, gotten upset and left. You know, thank God we, you know, we have churches that, that never happens in. It's why, obviously that was sarcasm, if none of you speak that love language. Uh, it's why we as a church 
one of our core values. If you didn't know, we have core values. We don't talk about them a lot. We're going to be talking about them, but we haven't talked about them too much except the one time we went through our core values after our elders uh, came up with our core values. But one of our core values is this, unity. We are a family who radically loves one another and passionately pursues harmony. I like this. I think it's pretty good. This is a really good core value to have. So uh, if you've never heard me explain what my idea of, so we have a vision statement. That's kind of like the GPS point. If you, if, if you use a GPS, uh, you kind of put the end point in. That's our vision. That's who we want to be, to be a family where everyone can know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ. That's where we're going. That's what we want to be. That's what we strive to be every day and achieve more and more every single day. What the core values are are kind of the guardrails on the road. They keep us on the path that will help us get to our destination. Uh, If we could achieve this, this is a pretty powerful thing, to be a family who radically loves one another and passionately pursues harmony. Why is this one of our core values? Why would our elders think this was important to have as one of the core principles of our church? Because a healthy community is vitally important for each of us. And the enemy has done so much work convincing us it's not. He has convinced many of us that if we just pop into church every now and then, that's good enough. That as long as we know some people at the church, as long as maybe we you know, catch one of the sermons now, we can just you know, sit on our couch and catch them on TV if we want because we just didn't feel like going to church anymore. That the actual community aspect of church just isn't nearly as important as checking the right boxes. And that's simply not the message we get in God's Word. Unity is one of the greatest weapons we have against the enemy. It is one of the greatest weapons, if not the greatest weapon um, that we have. Because when, we, when God's people are united, and there's different ways to become united. We're not going to dive too deep into that today through prayer, through uh, fasting, through gathering together, through crying together, through mourning together. All these things bring us closer together as a family. But it is one of the greatest weapons we have against him. We will all have moments when we sink. Every single one of us is going to have a moment, a season of time where we get our eyes off Jesus. It's going to happen. Maybe it's just a moment. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's a decade where we get our eyes off Jesus. And it's when we're alone, we are the most vulnerable to the enemy taking us out like that. It's the family of God around us who help us when we're sinking. Again, our theme verse for the day, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. If you were the enemy... Where would you try to get people? Deep into community? Of course not. You'd want people alone. You'd want people to think, "Eh, 
once a month is, is good. Somebody was telling me a, a story. I, I was at district conference this week, and I got to interact with a bunch of other pastors, and one pastor was telling me how he went to a restaurant in town and just got into a conversation, I think, with the waitress and asked her, you know, what church do you go to? And she said, his church. And he said, really? That's so interesting. <laughs> I've never seen you there. <laughs> he had been the pastor for like a decade at, at that point. Uh, it's so often we have people who consider churches their home church. That's the church I go to. And they haven't, maybe Christmas and Easter, what I like to call the Christers. They just pop in on Christmas and Easter, and that's the sum total of their involvement. But they would still claim that as their church. That's not a family. Some of you, unfortunately, you have family members who maybe haven't spoken to you, hopefully not that you've chosen not to speak to them, but uh, that you're estranged from. That doesn't feel like family. You might still have blood ties or relational ties, but that doesn't feel like family. That's why our vision statement, very clearly, is to be a family where everyone can know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ. That's why it starts off with a family, because of how vitally important it is that we have a faith community, a faith family. When we're sinking is when we need to experience the love of Christ. Each of us will be in different places of this vision statement at times. Sometimes we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about God's love. Awesome. Sometimes we'll get to experience the love of Christ. Awesome. Hopefully we're each engaged in discipleship and helping to empower others to ignite that love of Christ in their life. But it's in those moments when we're sinking it's in Peter's moment as he sank in the water. He got to experience the love of Christ as Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand. Galatians tells us, chapter 6, verse 2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. This is part of what a family does. If you had a family member who was struggling with something, hopefully you'd be there to say, hey, what, what can I do? What do you need help with? How can I help? Hopefully you are able to do that in a helpful way, especially when someone's in legitimate help. It would not be very nice of me, you know, if one of my kids was struggling with something to just be like, I don't know, figure it out. I don't care. That's not really a great family way to look at it. That's why the enemy is always trying to get us offended or upset at other people in the church. Many times it's one of us. I would probably guess that a handful of times that's going to be me. I offend you. I do something or I don't do something and it bothers you or hurts you and offends you. And I hope that you let me know so that I can talk to you about it because I certainly would never want that to happen for any of you. But the enemy will always try to convince us that an offense was, in, it was intended, it was intentional, or that person just doesn't care, they just don't love you trying to tear apart that family. I don't know if you've ever had somebody try to tear your family apart or try to cause divisions between you and your family. That probably makes you a little mad and probably makes you a little angry. I know it bothers me when I see the enemy just tearing rifts in God's family over many times simple things, things that don't really matter for the kingdom but they matter to the individual and we spend so much time stewing on it and we don't go and have that conversation like we talk about communion about zeroing out those accounts, having the conversations we have to have, letting people know, hey, this hurt, 
I was bothered by this, and I want to let you know about it. Because then we can have that healing conversation, and we can walk away stronger, better as a family. The enemy wants to keep us away from that. No, no just stay bitter about it. Just, just have, you know, have this uh, thing in your heart that just grows and festers and, and creates more problems instead of just calling and having a simple conversation or showing up and, and getting lunch together and having a good conversation. It's why, if, if you're new to church, you might not know this, Church is the place that you can find some of the most bitter and ugly feuds you'll find anywhere else in the world. It's sad. It's clear. It's, it's apparent. It makes sense that that's where the enemy would attack. That's where Satan wants to create the most problems, the most strife, the most bitterness because the church has the most power when it's unified, when there is unity among its members. And so the enemy does everything in his power to rip us apart, to create problems, to make you offended at me, to make me offended at you. Because even just a little bit, and he wins. Because, man, if we came together, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just think that worship's been anointed these last few weeks. There's just been something there. And imagine if we were all united in this. We had the unity of family among us Man, you wouldn't be able to get us out of this building. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't have a roof. God just blow the roof right off this place. But the power of unity, some of us have never experienced that. And I don't know about you, but I want to experience that here. Amen? Amen. That will not be us, church family. The church with the, the bitterness, the church with the problems, the church with, uh, well, if you go there, there's all this baggage. That will not be us. Amen? Amen? Because, see, this takes each and every one of us making a personal declaration that I won't allow it. If there is something in my heart, I will, as difficult as it might be, I will have that conversation. And I promise you, I'm giving you this promise. If you ever come to me and tell me if I've offended you in some way, I will do everything in my power to understand. I might not fully understand, but I will try because I know I can offend easily. So if I have, please just come talk to me. I am easy to talk to, trust me. Just come have that conversation. Let's heal over that offense, that hurt. If there's somebody else in our church family that you have something about, and the enemy might be continually convincing you it's not that big of a deal. If it keeps coming up, it's a big deal. Just go have that conversation. Some of you have experienced that where you've mulled over something in your mind. There's been something that's bothered you for so long, and then you finally have the conversation. You're like, I don't even know why I was so upset about that. You want to know why? Because the enemy of our souls made it so. And he won every time it came into your mind because he got a little bit more of your heart. And today should be the day you end that. We, church, will be a family where everyone can know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ. I I trust, because I know most of us are Uh, I know most of you, and we have awesome people in this church. I don't think any single one of us would want to be the reason somebody would be able to come into this building and not experience the love of Christ. And we might not think that thing we have against the pastor or against somebody else in the church is that big of a deal, but it is. 
because it gives the enemy a way in to this church. How can we do that when each of us, how can we have perfect unity when each of us is so broken and liable to really mess it up at some point or another? Because here's the reality. Someone's going to offend you. If someone hasn't offended you yet today, they'll probably do it at some point in your time here. Family, they cause friction. How many of you have been married for more than five minutes and have never had any problems? Yeah, that's how it goes, right? Once you put that ring on, all problems go out the window. You're able to work everything out just by looking into each other's eyes and everything just gets better. Most of us would probably say, oh, no, that's when the real fighting started. Yeah, that's when the game really started. Yeah, why? Because you're family now. And there's a, there's a blessing to family. And that's, it's one of the things that bothers me so much about people that will just pop out of a church as soon as there's a problem. Because it's through the, the fighting, it's through the, the conflict that my wife and I have grown so much stronger that, that realization, that knowledge that she could really mess up today and I'm not going anywhere. And I could really mess up and she's not going anywhere. There's power in that. And if we committed to be that kind of family here, there's power in that. Knowing that we're here for the kingdom, for the long haul. Colossians chapter 3 tells us how we can do that as broken people. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now my guess is, I'm just going to, I'm not hearing this from God right now, this is a specific moment, but my guess is when we talked about taking part in communion this morning in a holy way, in a way where there's no offense in our hearts, some of us here, something came to mind. And we continually try to forcefully jam that down and tell it, no, be quiet, get back under the rug. Instead of saying, you know what, peace needs to reign in my heart. When we talk about communion, when we talk about there not being offense, any offenses in the church, I want to just for one Sunday when that's mentioned, to not think of anything because there's nothing there. That's when peace rules in your heart. When no, when no offense comes to your mind, you don't have to convince yourself it's not that big of a deal. That's when peace rules in your heart. And maybe for some of us, that part of the verse, clothing ourselves in humility and in kindness and in compassionate love for one another we go and we have those conversations. We do what we need to do to have unity. What would church look like if we could accomplish this as a whole? If nobody in our midst were to hold any offenses? And I can bet, I would just guess, some of you have been significantly hurt by church people. 
whether it's a pastor, whether it's somebody else who goes to this church, whether it's somebody who doesn't go here anymore, you've been significantly hurt by church people. So how are we supposed to get along? How are we supposed to do it? How are we supposed to get along with people who have hurt us, who really bother us, who we just flat out don't like? How do we do that as part of a family? Romans chapter 12, 18 says, very simply, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. This is the verse I come back to when someone tells me, what should I do, pastor, so-and-so? They did something again, and I'm just mad at them, and I just don't understand, and it's, well, let's look at Romans 12, 18. Have you done everything? I've done everything. Really? How how about going and have another conversation with them? Oh, I can't do it again. You haven't done everything then. If there's something there, go talk. Go in humility and have a conversation. Jesus tells us, how many times are we supposed to forgive others? I love when people say the number because it's like, I've counted and they're almost there. What Jesus really said is, doesn't matter how many times. He gave them a number that was so large. What Jesus was really saying is there's no amount of times that somebody can offend you, that somebody can wrong you, where they become unforgivable. And you may think somebody has done something unforgivable to you, but we stand before Christ as people who were unforgivable, and yet he died on the cross for us. He forgave everything. In a moment, all we had to do was ask. There were no conditions given. There were nothing like that. There was never, I'll I'll do it as long as you don't do that again. Jesus just said, come. I love you as you are. There's a reason our elders worded our core value on unity this way. We are a family who radically loves one another and passionately pursues harmony. Can we all say, when someone has wronged us, when there's been an offense, we have passionately pursued harmony? See, this stuff isn't easy. If you know, if you are somebody who tries to keep short accounts and you repent often, you ask forgiveness and you offer forgiveness often, you know this isn't easy. Man, if you've never had to go back and have a conversation with someone and say, hey, I know I said I forgave you like two weeks ago, but man, I didn't. And I've just been mauling this over more and I'm sorry, it's, it's on me. And will you forgive me? I've, just been, I've still been harboring something in my heart and you go back multiple, I've done it. I've thought I've forgiven somebody, and I haven't. And i got to go back and have that humbling conversation of, I'm a knucklehead. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I'm still holding on to it. See, if this was easy, the Bible wouldn't spend so much time talking about the importance of community and unity and harmony together. There's another reason we are meant for community, that we're never meant to sink alone. It's because alone is where we are the most vulnerable to the enemy. First Peter 5.8, most of you know. Stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I almost shared this cool video with you, but it was too long. And it was, uh, but you can just imagine it in your mind. It's, you probably have a better video player than our screen anyhow. But it was, uh, I think a... 
I can't remember what the animal was, but like a, a, a lion came up to eat this animal. And at first they got, you know, it was like gazelle or I don't know. I don't know what those animals are. They all probably taste good. But uh, it was trying to get this animal. And at first it looked like the animal was done. And then all its, the whole herd came over and started, you know, railing on this lion and chased the lion away. And it's just the truth that alone, man, we are so vulnerable to the enemy. When we're out, if you've never had that experience where you've been disconnected from the family of God and the enemy can convince you of all these crazy things and how church doesn't matter and how, um, you know, all they're just in it for your money and all these crazy things and, and so you stay away from church for a while or you just don't think it's important and you finally come back in and you feel that like, that refreshing feeling of being in community with God's people again. And then you stand and you worship God with others and and you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and you're reminded, man, this is where we belong. I don't know if you feel that every Sunday, but man, I do. Very, maybe not every Sunday, but very often. Hello. That works. Must have been the enemy. But the reality, as I was saying, that when we're alone, when we're away from the community of God is when we can really get taken out. But when you experience that again, when you walk back into community, when you have that whether it's worshiping together, whether it's praying together, whether it's just being here in service with one another, the feeling of community reminds us this is what we were meant for. Thank you, Christian. Hello. There we go. That works. I gotta get back on track here. Chances are that some of us are sinking alone not because of something that others did, but because of shame. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Some of us have stayed away. Some of us, maybe you're watching today. And you don't feel comfortable coming back into the family of God because the enemy has got you convinced that your life is just so shameful or that you just, you're not good enough for the family of God. Man, that's so wrong. I've often, I think, one of the best analogies I can think of for the church is the gym. Now, I love the gym, so maybe I'm a little biased. But when you walk into a gym, you don't expect to see the, the, the world's finest athletes. If you do, don't go to Planet Fitness, all right, because I go there. Uh, and you won't see the world's finest athletes, I promise you. But often people walk into a church and expect everybody to be perfect. You don't walk into the gym and expect the world's best athletes because why? They're there to get in shape. 
The reason they're there many times is because they're not in shape and they're trying to get in shape. And so for many of us who are believers, we know sometimes we come in on a Sunday and we're like, thank God that I got to be with God's people because, man, my life is a wreck. It's a mess. I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. But thank God I have this family. I hope that's you. For too long, the church was a proponent of shame. We made people feel shameful because of the way we acted, that if they did, didn't wear the right thing or, uh, God forbid, you know, we saw them smoking in the parking lot or maybe they let a curse word slip out in church like, oh, you're so shameful, you're so horrible. Honestly, I look at that and say, thank God you're here. This is the place to be if your life isn't right, if things aren't the way they, are, they should be. This is where you should be. We shouldn't stay away from here until we feel like we've got it together and then we come back. That's a self-defeating, like if I said, well, I'm not going to go to the gym until I'm in perfect shape. Guess what? I'm never going to be in perfect shape. Because it's there that you can begin to work on those things. So the enemy might got you, he might have you with shame. And you just remind him, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Some of us, are sinking maybe not because of shame, but because of pride. Romans twelve sixteen says, Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. I, I love some of these verses because they're so offensive, and yet they're the Word of God, so they're great. It's basically, don't think of yourself too highly. Don't think that you're too good to hang out with normal people. Thank God that we have a church full of relatively normal people. I love the people that call this place home. And I love when we get to gather. Like we have this uh, lunch coming up. Hello? Okay, I'm back. Pride. Was I, I was talking about the lunch. Thank you, my beautiful wife. I was talking about the lunch. I love that we, when we get to gather and celebrate something together and just have fellowship together. That, to me, I mean, it's as important to me as what we do here on Sunday mornings, as when we worship, when we celebrate. When you look at the, the Church of Acts, it likens many of those things in. It says they prayed consistently together. They gathered, they worshiped, they fellowshiped. All of these things are vitally important. And fellowship, if nothing else, it makes sure that we aren't sinking alone. It makes sure, it ensures that we're not going to sink all on our own, out on an island by ourselves. But we can get together, we can have conversation, we get to know each other, and then hopefully we feel more comfortable talking about what's going on in our life and sharing things that are going on. Some of us are sinking alone because we just don't know how to break into the community of people here. I know we talked about this a while back. How many of us have ever, you don't need to raise your hand, how many of us have ever walked into a church for the first time having and knowing not a single person there? Most of us haven't had that experience. It's weird walking into a new faith community and not knowing anybody that's there. Sometimes it can be really difficult to break into the community in a church, and that is so sad. 
at churches can be so closed off to new people, to new uh, parts, members of the family coming in. They don't know how to get plugged in. And you say, oh, we'll just start coming to a Bible study. Yeah, that might sound good to you. But how do I get part of the family? How do I get the relationships like everybody else seems to have? Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite church theme verses or passages, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others' Two. Here's a question. Maybe now they both have gone out. All right. As part of our church family. to plug in here. Uh, I've told you before, uh, very easy ways. If you see someone, if you look around the church, the sanctuary this morning, and you see somebody's face you don't know, say, hey, I'd love to go to lunch with you sometime. Can we do lunch? Or can I have you over my house? We'll, we'll have dinner. Or can I, can I meet you at Aegis? We'll grab a cup of coffee. Because I don't know who you are, but you've been here more than once, and I want to get to know you because you're part of my family. That's a very simple, easy way. Man, some of you who have never stepped foot into a church for the first time not knowing anybody, you don't know what what it's like to, to have that weird, awkward feeling and then for that to completely change when someone invites you into their home or something. And you eat a meal in their home and now it's like, man, I'm I'm part of the family. And you go to church on Sunday and you see them and you're like, hey, I know you. Hey, thanks for that meal, that was awesome. And now you feel like you're in. And verse four is very clear. Sometimes we can get so caught up with our own interests, so caught up with what's going on in our life, so caught up with our schedule, with our uh, nuclear family that we don't realize there are people here who don't feel connected yet, who don't feel loved by the family of God. What can I do to make a difference here? What can I do to extend the arm of Christ to those in our family have you ever walked into a service on a Sunday morning? I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe before you step through the door to say, hey, hey, God, who needs a touch from you this morning? Could you point me towards somebody who just needs maybe an encouraging hug or just needs invited to lunch or that just needs someone to talk to? Could you guide me to that person this morning? Because somebody probably needs that. These are ways, very simple ways we can have and I mean everyone, can know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ. I would love to know that we are a church where it doesn't matter if you come in the first time or if you've been here for 80 years, on any given Sunday, you will know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ in your life. That's an exciting prospect. I love that vision statement for that purpose. Unity is one of the greatest weapons we have against the enemy. You've heard me say that. 
So it's no surprise. The enemy will do everything in his power to ensure we are not united as a family. That he can just drive that little bit of wedge in between that. But the, the scriptures tell us what will get the church's or the world's attention. It's not our programs. As many times we think, well, if we just added more programs, it would be better. It's not our music. doesn't matter how great our music is. It's not going to tell the world how much we love him and how much he loves us. It's not our great preaching. doesn't matter how good my sermons or how bad my sermons are. Well, maybe if they're really bad. Uh, doesn't matter how good the sermons are. It's not, it's not what's going to get the world's attention. It's our love for each other. John 13, 34 to 35 says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let's talk about this love thing for just a quick second here. If your spouse or your kid or your parents decided to define love how church people often define love, you probably are going to be pretty upset pretty quickly. How happy would you be if your spouse all of a sudden decided, I'm going to love you, and love just means that I don't hate you? Because I've heard church people say that. I love so-and-so. I mean, I don't hate them. Okay, that's a pretty low bar for love. Well, we just, you know what? I love them. I just leave them alone. Some of you would, wouldn't mind that from your spouse, but... I do marriage counseling, if that's you. Uh, well, I'm just going to leave them alone. I'm just not going to talk to them. They don't talk to me, and then we're good. Most marriages, that's not a good idea. It just means I love them, and I, I, it just means I don't gossip about them. I just, I just don't air their dirty laundry out. Oh, you know, love for me with church means I just say hi and smile if on the rare occasion, unfortunately, our eyes meet and I make eye contact with somebody at church. And I have to say hi and smile. I would argue the majority of our church family, you love really, really well. I can say that from experience. Someone coming into the, this church is uh, somebody new, and you all have loved my family tremendously. And so I can, I can say personally, man, this church loves really well. And when someone has a need, I've seen this church rise to the occasion very, very well as well. I think we love in many different ways very well. But it can always serve as a good reminder to ask ourselves how well we're loving the church family. How well are we loving those who have been here for generations? And also, how well are we loving those who walk in the door for the first time? Those who aren't plugged in yet to the family. Remember, Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That means every time we gather, asking, what can I do? It means when we have a potluck or we have a lunch, as we walk over there and we see that couple that we don't really know, but they're sitting at the table all by themselves, instead of going to sit with our people, we say, you know what? I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to allow somebody to sit by themselves who's new to our church at a table at one of our lunches. And we go and we sit with them. When we talk with them, we get to know them. We invest in them. That's why our core value says we are a family who radically loves one another and passionately pursues harmony. It is only with great effort we achieve harmony and peace together as a family. Peter shouldn't have sunk alone. 
If we can't agree on everything, hopefully we can agree on that. There's no reason Peter should have sunk alone on the water that morning. There were 11 other disciples. I don't know if they were all present, but there were at least, I would guess, at least 11 other disciples in that boat. Not a single one of them got out to walk with him. And there's a reality that nobody here who calls this place home should sink alone. Yet my guess is there are people in our midst this morning who feel alone, who feel like they don't have somebody to talk to, who feel like they're just too messed up for the rest of the church. They just don't have their stuff together. That if they opened up, the church would turn their back on them. Because chances are it's happened in the past. And I hope we can be a church that we can allow people to be authentic. We have a core value about that. People can be authentic. They can be real. They can be who they are here. And we can love them where they are. Not demand they meet some mold of what a Dubois Alliance member looks like. Man, I, I hope, and take this the right way, hopefully, I hope we can lower what a Dubois Alliance member looks like. Because we start getting people in who are really right out of the world, who don't know Jesus, who don't know how to walk the walk of the Christian yet. We start filling our pews with those people and we can love them as they journey toward Christ because that's what God called us to do. If a hospital only had healthy people in it, that would be a pretty weird hospital. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. He came as the great physician for those who are sick, not for those who are well. So the questions I want you to wrestle with as we leave today what are you able to do about this? If there's something in your heart towards somebody else, that's pretty clear what you can do about that. There are people in our midst who you don't know, and I guarantee you, if you looked around this morning, there's somebody you don't know here. Guarantee it. What are you going to do about that? Today, this week, as we move forward as a church family, are we going to be a church who loves people well as they come into our family, as they become a part of our church family Again, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Somebody here, my guess is, is in real trouble because they're falling, they're sinking, and they're alone. I encourage you to reach out to somebody. There's no question in my mind why that sound is so messed up today. This is one of the most important things a church can hear. It is one of our greatest weapons. So naturally, there'd be a ton of confusion and I'd get off track multiple times. But the message remains the same. Don't sink alone. If you're here this morning and you need somebody to talk to, I will be that person. If nobody else, I promise you I will hear you out and won't judge you. We should all be able to do that for each other. Let's make a commitment that nobody sinks alone in this church, and let's even spread that to our community. There should never be anybody in our community who commits suicide thinking, nobody loves me. If nothing else, if they want to still take their life, they can think, I know that other church, that, uh, that one church loves me, but I'm going to do this anyhow. Would they know that there's at least a church in town that desperately loves them because Jesus loves them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love me 
God, I thank you that you have called me to a family. You've called me to Du Bois Alliance Church. Lord, I thank you for the many people who have loved me and loved my family well. I thank you, Lord, that uh, for me to sink alone would have to be a choice because there are so many good people around me. But I also acknowledge there are other people in our church family who they want to figure out how to be a part. They want to reach out and they just don't know how. Lord, I pray you would give them the boldness to reach out, to let people know they're struggling and they are alone and they are in desperate need of a touch from you. Lord, I pray we would be a church who loves well those who walk in the door for the first time and those who have been here for many, many decades. Lord, I pray we would be unified. There would be harmony and there would be peace in our church family. As much as the enemy doesn't want that to happen, Lord, I pray it over us as a body that we would have unity among our members and the Holy Spirit would light this place on fire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's Communion Sunday, so the ushers will be in the back with plates for benevolent offering. Um, And also, if you are somebody who's struggling this morning and you want some... that, but if you need that this morning, come on up and we'll pray with you.